Hello. Hello. I am here. Hello. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this morning it's Master Chef. Now, the, the thing is, you see, um, the whole point about. Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, people couldn't understand it was the same Jesus he was before he died as when he became alive again. And so the whole point that it was same but different is something that we need to understand. You see, you wouldn't expect me to come in my pedal pushers this morning and a tie with an apron and a cap. You say, that's not the David I know. Is that right? I thought that's... that's is that right? But it was the same with Jesus. It's not the Jesus they knew as such, but they'd know him as the same but different. The same but different. Yeah? Little red face map. And Jesus did this in a very special way. And the story begins like this. Jesus said, I've got to catch up with these people and show them who I really am. And so in the Bible passage it says... Jesus showed himself to his disciples. And what it means is, I want to show them that really I'm the same man, so that they can understand I'm the same man, and there's no difference, but there is a difference. Can you understand that? <laughs> sort of. But really it was all about this. You know, Jesus said, I want them to really understand that I'm the same man, I'm no different. I understand them in the same way. I'm the same Jesus that died and the same Jesus that is now alive. And so he said, I'm going to meet up with these guys on the seashore and I'm going to have a barbecue. And because we can't have a barbecue here this morning, Jesus set up his own barbecue early in the morning and he said, I'm going to cook breakfast for my disciples. Now, I'm not very good at Master Chef, but... Some of you may know, if you watch MasterChef, that the, uh, the guys that were in the contest, they met this famous chef called Michel Roux. And they told him, told the people, that they were going to meet Michel Roux. And you ought to have seen their faces. The cameraman picked out their faces. It was, wow, we're going to meet him? And he's going to interact with us? And that's what Jesus did when he met the disciples on the shore. He met with his disciples and he said, I'm going to show them that really there's no difference between now and what happened. We'll let that cook a bit and be some, do some pancakes for the kids in a minute. I've got them all here. Where's my lovely assistant? With hmm? my wife, Joe. There's Joe there. You'd like to come and take. Come on, Joe. <laughs> She said, are you doing pancakes this morning? Yeah, there we go. There's that. When it's cooked, you see. Now, I'm not into tossing pancakes, you see, so... Uh, but, you see, it's, it's coming on. Now, the other thing is, you see, that this, this gas stove here, which was a gas stove which Peggy gave me some time ago, I ran out of gas. So quickly, I had to make it into an electric one last night. So... It, it's, it's the same, but different, you see? And so if we can remember, really, that Jesus 
when he came alive again, he was the same but different. You know what he said to his... his, There was this man, he said, I'm not going to believe that that's Jesus unless I can put my hands in his wounds and feel it's the real Jesus. And so Jesus met up with him and said, come on, Thomas, put your fingers in there. It is me. It really is me. And so Thomas... It's, he twigged, yeah, it really was Jesus. And so Jesus said, I'm not a spirit. He says, because I have flesh. You can't see my bones, but I have bones too. I'm not a spirit. I'm the same Jesus. But I'm not going to die anymore. That was the difference. And why did that all happen? Because Jesus wanted to give us the message, you know, that we could have that same sort of life. Who wants the first pancake? It's got to be a Saunders boy. There's only one family that doesn't have breakfast before they come out on a Sunday morning. Is that right? Come on then. Come on then, Adam. Show yourself. Give him a round of applause. You do another one, I'll let that cook for a little bit. There was one special reason why Jesus met up on the shore with his disciples. Uh, it was early in the morning, the sun was just coming up over the hill or whatever, and um, Peter said, well, I don't know what else we can do. Jesus has died and we haven't really seen him yet. We don't really understand a lot. Let's go fishing. <laughs> Let's go fishing. So they got in the... And the funny thing is they all agreed. Those that weren't fishermen agreed, let's go fishing. So they went out in the boat and they didn't catch a thing. Oh, come on. Yeah, Julie, you did it right there. I'm going to do that again. They didn't catch a thing. Oh, that's right. They didn't catch a thing. So someone on the shore shouts out, Caught anything, boys? No, we've been out here all night and we haven't caught a thing. Let down your net on the other side of the boat. And all of a sudden they thought, we've heard that voice before somewhere. We've heard it said in the same way. Looking amongst them, sir, it must be him. It must be Jesus. It's the Lord. Wow. So Peter puts on his coat and he jumps in the water and swims to shore. Oh, thank you, Joe. Excellent. Um, didn't want them to burn. Looks so we're ready for the next one. Look at that. There we go. Who's next then? We've got maple syrup. We've got lemons. We've got chocolate sprinkles. Whatever you like, you can come and have your... They don't want any. Oh, well, that's all right. Okay. Back to where we were. Jesus had to meet up with one man in particular, and it was because of this. Peter disowned Jesus. He said, I don't know Jesus, when he was asked a question. I don't know Jesus. And because of that, he felt a failure. And Jesus had died, and now he'd risen. And Jesus was going to come back and meet up with Peter Peter, he said, do you love me? Do you really love me? And he said, 
Lord, you know I love you. And I'm going to shock you all in a minute. You know, Jesus is asking us, the world, this question today, do you love me? And each one of you here this morning, he's saying the same question. Do you love me? Now, Peter really loved Jesus. He'd seen him. He'd worked with him. He'd been with him for such a long time. Of course he loved him. And yet Jesus kept asking him the question, do you love me? And Peter, as the fisherman, said, you bloody well know I love you. And why? Because he was afraid to answer that question in his heart. Because he failed Jesus. And many of us here, we feel we've failed God, failed Jesus, and we're frightened to make that move. And yet God still asks us that question. And many of us, we really do love the Lord, but we're frightened because we failed God, or we failed someone else, we failed our family, we failed ourselves. We feel that we can't move forward. And Jesus is saying this morning to us, I love you. I love you. And it was when he became alive, Jesus is alive today, and he's challenging people. He's challenged you this morning. He's challenging me to love God with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and with all our strength. That's, his, that's the Easter message, really. Jesus, the same Jesus, but different. Okay, Steve. Over to you. And I'll still put one or two pancakes. And... <laughs> right, who wants a pancake then? Come on. There's one here, stand in here. You've not had breakfast? No? Yeah, come on, come on, have a pancake. Oh, you having breakfast? Us band are going to sing a song. Come on, Sarah, sort them out. Boring bit because the kids are going out there. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you can wash up as well, that would be good. <laughs> Dave's going to keep cooking, so just keep coming and getting your pancakes, because uh, I think this is what it was like, wasn't it, in Jesus' time. It wasn't so formal. They just enjoy being a family together. And uh, anybody remember Max Bygraves? Max Bygraves? Do you remember what he used to say? I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. Whoa. That's impressive, isn't it? I want to tell you a story, and uh, you might like to just close your eyes and just imagine, imagine the scene. You've got a scene where you've got a scene where men and women have a lot of hope. They've been very excited. They thought that they had the answer to their problems, and it had all gone. The man they thought that their hopes were pinned on was dead. He was gone, and uh, it was pretty grim. All they had to look forward to was Roman soldiers knocking on their door. Not good. So I want to read you, um, it's a Bible version called The Message. Boom. It's a Bible, should I drop this down a bit? Would that help? So, here we go. At the crack of dawn, on Sunday, the women came to the tomb and carried, carrying burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of the Master Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then, out of nowhere, it seemed two men, cascading, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. 
The men said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He's not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners and killed on a cross and after three days rise up. Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and broke the news to the eleven and the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it. They thought they were making it up. But Peter, oh, sounds good. <laughs> but Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes. That's all. He walked away, puzzled, shaking his head. That same day, two of them were walking to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were in deep conversation, going over all the things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked alongside them, and they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced. They looked like they'd lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened over these last few days? Jesus said, what has happened? They said, the things that happened to Jesus, the Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in word and word, blessed by both God and the people. Then our high priests and our leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes that he was the one, the one who was going to deliver Israel. And now it's the third day since it happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they came to the tomb and said they couldn't find his body. They came back with a story saying they'd seen a vision of angels, and they said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check it out and found it empty, just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and then enter his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the book of Moses and went through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that re referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed, and he acted as if he was going to go on. But they pressed him, saying, stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening and the day is done. So he went in with them, and here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking bread. He blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. At that very moment, their eyes were opened, wide open, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel a fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened the scriptures to us? They didn't waste a minute. They got up and they made their way straight back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their friends and gathered together. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that had happened on the road and how they'd recognized Jesus when he had appeared to them. Then Jesus came and appearing said, peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and they were scared half to death. He continued with them, don't be upset and don't let these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands, 
Look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look at me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. And he showed them his hands and his feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It's too much. It seemed too good to be true. He asked them, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish that they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. Then he said, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the law of the prophets and Moses in the Psalms has been fulfilled in me. Then he went on to open their understanding to the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles in this way. He said, you can see how it is written that the Messiah suffers and rises from the dead on the third day. And then a total life change is yours through the forgiveness of sin to be proclaimed to all nations, starting from here into Jerusalem. Um, You're the first to hear and see it. You are my witnesses. See, it's a simple message. Simple message. A dead man can't teach, and yet Jesus is alive. And he spoke to his followers. See, the cross is a vital part of the story, and and it shows God's plan to make a way back to God, something which Steve will unpack a bit more later. And Jesus understands that people have to, even today, have questions and they have concerns. But he's alive. He wants to talk with us. He wants to teach us. He wants to relate to us today. Because Jesus has made a way for us to come back to knowing God. Right, so I'd like to ask if anyone in this room has ever met Barack Obama. Give me a wave. Anyone met Barack Obama? No? Um, Is he real? Is he real? How do you know that? You haven't met him. How do you know he's real? You've seen him on the telly? (laughs) Read about him in OK, Chat magazine. Anyone here ever met David Beckham? No? Anybody here watch David Beckham play? Yay! (laughs) Only twice, and that was seven games, I know. But these people exist, but we haven't met them, we don't know them, and yet we believe that Barack Obama exists, don't we? Because we've heard testimony. People say, yeah, I've heard Barack Obama, we've seen him on the telly. Has anyone ever met Fern Britton? I know our cell group has seen this, but David has Snoopy, but I have this. Whoa, here we go. Ready, steady, cook, 1996. (laughs) My mum's got the video. (laughs) And I won. Yes. Hey! <laughs> Bought a good frying pan and it didn't work very well. But I've met Fern Britton. I can tell you that she's real. She's only about that high. And she's really lovely. She's a really nice person. Um, but none of you have met her. So I could be lying, couldn't I? Perhaps I've never met her. Perhaps she doesn't exist. But she does exist. And I'm a witness to that because I've met her. And I can give a testimony that I've met her and that she's real and she does exist. 
See, the Bible is full of numerous proofs that Jesus is alive. It even said um, in a book in the Bible called Corinthians, it said Jesus appeared to 500 people in one day after he was raised from the dead. Amazing, isn't it? See, Easter is an opportunity for us to consider whether we believe that this Jesus is real, whether he really has come back from the dead. It's our opportunity to consider, is he alive? Can he teach me and talk to me today? The Bible's clear that if we genuinely, genuinely seek to meet with God in Jesus, then he will meet with us. But you see, this Jesus, he's, he's not like a lucky charm, or oh, I have Jesus with me, or our little spiritual friend. He's not that. And sometimes, maybe even religious television can, can just give this impression that Jesus is our lucky charm. He, he's with me. He helps me. That's true. But also, he is now a Lord, and he is God. He teaches us today. And one of the things he teaches us is that he requires everything from us. If we want to follow him, he's not just going to be our lucky rabbit's foot that's going to help us when we've got worries in our family or things are a bit difficult. He actually calls us to surrender everything to him, the whole lot, to actually give ourselves to him. We give him everything, but we get everything in return. The relationship based on him, not based on my need. In the Bible, there's a book called John, written by one of Jesus' disciples. It tells a story about a woman that Jesus met one day. If you read the story carefully, you'll see Jesus actually went out of his way to meet with this lady. She'd been rejected by her community, and she'd had a string of really dodgy relationships. She wasn't very popular within her her community. And Jesus started chatting with her, and it was like inside she thought, this, this is the one we've been looking for. This, this is the one that can change my life. This is God. Amazing. She was so excited, she raced back to the community, which had rejected her and didn't want to talk to her. And she said, she said these most amazing words. She said, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done and who seems to know me from the inside. The town came out, and they came and met with Jesus, and he spent three days with them. And then, after these three days, finally, they came to this woman, and they said something absolutely astonishing. The townspeople said to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said about Jesus that makes us believe. But we have met him. And we have heard him for ourselves, and we now realize, indeed, he is the Son of God. My desire is that you'll go away today and carefully consider, not in a blow of emotion, but carefully consider, who is this Jesus? Is he alive? Is he alive as he claims? And maybe you yourself will be able to say, I heard about this Jesus, but I don't believe because of what you say anymore, but I have met him. To return to the lakeside, and you'll see some things are familiar for what's already been said this morning. But I've, um, 
I've got a really exciting subject to talk about. It's a really jolly subject, uh, and it's called failure. <laughs> now, if you're Frank Spencer, if you remember Frank Spencer from Some Mothers Do Have Them, he thought it was a virtue. He would say with a gleam in his eye, Oh, Betty, I'm a failure. <laughs> As if it was something good. But most of us don't like it, do we? We don't, we don't like to fail. And if we see a particular failure as serious, we can sometimes conclude that it's something that will blight our future. Uh, there's no way back. There's nothing I can do to eradicate that. It's going to follow me uh, all of my life. And I'll forever live with regret and um, maybe remorse. Um, I want to tell you this morning and show you how the risen Lord Jesus is able to deliver us uh, from the disappointment and despair of failure um, and that it often brings to us and show us that he can redeem our lives um, from the, the sense of condemnation because of our failure. So we're looking at Jesus the Redeemer this morning. Now, whilst we don't welcome failure into our lives, uh, no one wants to do that. But it is an opportunity to experience the grace of God, the amazing transforming power of the grace of God. And it was the Apostle Paul said that when sin increased, that's when failure increased, grace increased all the more. So we can't outdo God. Our failure can't outdo him. There is always grace for our failure. The popular song Amazing Grace not only tells us that there is grace to save us, but there is grace to see us home. There is grace for our lives. And this morning I want to look at two of Jesus' disciples who failed. One who did not experience the grace of God and one who did. We're going to look briefly at Judas and then we're going to look again, as we have already, at Peter and the Lord's dealing with Peter and see how the amazing grace of God was at work in his life. So the scene is the Last Supper or sometimes called the Lord's Supper. Jesus gathered with his disciples on the night uh, before he was arrested and and crucified uh, and he's meeting with his disciples. And he predicts the failure of both of these men. He tells them it's going to happen. Judas, first of all. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus said, yes, it's you. We, of course, know that before the night was out, Judas led the chief priest's guards to Jesus and then betrayed him with a kiss. Later, when he sees that from his perspective it's all gone wrong and Jesus is condemned, he suffers terrible remorse. And he says, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. But he saw no way of redemption. He couldn't see that was any way back. So he went away and hanged himself. Back to the Last Supper. 
and now Peter. And we read, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, Look, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I'm sure there Peter was expressing genuine loyalty for Jesus, but he underestimates the subtlety of the enemy and his own vulnerability. I wonder when Jesus, when he boasted his loyalty to Jesus, whether he probably had in mind some military confrontation uh, where he would, if necessary, lay down his life uh, for Jesus by some heroic act. What he was not prepared for was the casual inquiry of a servant girl. Again, you probably know the story that as Jesus is led away, most of the disciples scattered. Uh, But uh, Peter follows on, trying to keep in the shadows, trying to keep out of people's way. But he wants to see what's going to happen to Jesus. And as the Jesus trial begins, people begin to identify Peter and say, you're one of his, you're one of his followers, you're a Galilean. Three times he says no. No, I'm not. And the third time he actually swears. And he's so vehement about it. No, I don't know the man. And then, of course, the cock crows and Peter remembers. And he suffers terrible remorse. He weeps bitterly over what he has done. Now, of course, we come to the point where Jesus is now revealing himself as the risen Lord to his disciples, as we've heard. He appears to them many, many times after his resurrection. Peter must have been overjoyed to have witnessed this and to experience the risen Christ. But I'm sure he was still feeling the shame over what he had done. Although Peter had failed Jesus, Jesus' plans for him had not failed. And Jesus was going to demonstrate that there was more grace for him available to get him back on track. After his resurrection, as we've heard, Jesus appears to the disciples on a number of occasions. And as we've also seen, he appeared to them by the lake. They're out fishing. Jesus is cooking breakfast. As we have learnt, probably not pancakes, probably fish and broiled fish, I think it says, doesn't it? And uh, there he's going to meet with his disciples just like old times. Now surely, as he meets with the disciples and with Peter, he he needs to say something to Peter, doesn't he? Really, you can't brush these things under the carpet, can you, really? This kind of failure. After all, Peter was one of those who was supposed to to change the world, and his behaviour was hardly acceptable, was it? So how would we have dealt with Peter? Well, if we'd have been a high-flying business executive over a multinational company, we might have said this, Peter, I'm sorry, but you're a complete letdown. You're a complete letdown. I'm very disappointed in you, especially after all your boasting. I can't have people on my team that are unreliable. Peter, you're fired. Or we might have been more lenient. Might think, well, we'll see if we can keep him in the team. We'll see if we can keep him on board. But we've got to make it clear that he's got to pull his socks up. 
Peter, what were you thinking? Come on, Peter, you're supposed to change the world. We'll never do it as long as you cave in so easily. So what are you going to do about this weakness of yours? You really must try harder. Now then, how can you assure me that it won't happen again? If we want, want to be on my team, how are you going to assure me that it won't happen again? How does Jesus deal with Peter? Well, neither in these ways. So what does Jesus do? He redeems Peter and he does it by spotlighting the core of Christian discipleship. The only motivation for living the Christian life is love for Jesus, as we've already heard this morning. That's the only true motivation for our Christian life. It's love for Jesus. Sadly, many people see Christianity as being much the same as any religion, with rules and laws and punishment for failure and constant fear of condemnation. Christianity is radically different, for by dying in our place, Jesus took the condemnation that was rightly ours for our sin and our failure. And so through faith in him, we can have complete freedom from condemnation. So what was Peter expecting as he came face to face with Jesus? Let's see again how Jesus dealt with him. From John's Gospel, I'm quoting now, they're on the lakeside, they're having their breakfast, and it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, what's, what's he thinking? What's Simon thinking? He's got to mention it somewhere. Somewhere he's got to talk about the, my failure. Simon Son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Peter must be thinking, he's got to mention the past somewhere, but Jesus doesn't. He's taking Peter from where he is and he's showing him a future where he's prepared to trust him with the church. Feeding my sheep is about looking after Jesus' church and Jesus was prepared to trust him. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. How different, how different from the way that we might have treated Peter. But Jesus knew that he had a future for Peter and Peter had a future in him and had a future in the church. And of course, Jesus is right. He did, Peter is right. He did know. Jesus did know about his heart. And if Jesus has our hearts, he can deal with our failures. He can deal with our problems and the things that let him down. Jesus can deal with those because there is grace. Now we all fail at times. We can either, it can either drive us into hopelessness and despair like Judas. I'm only speculating, but I believe Judas could have been redeemed. If he'd come to Jesus and confessed, Jesus would have restored him because there was grace available even for Judas, but he did not know. He didn't know. And so he went away in despair and hanged himself. Or we, it could drive us into the arms 
of Jesus, like Peter. Thank God there is a Redeemer. Steve. Jesus, cocaine, makes sense. That one all right? That one all right? That one all right? What's the difference? Bent, damaged. One's new, one's old. One's alive, one's dead. Let me tell you a story before I explain the coke cans. Let me tell you a story about a dead man. I met a dead man once. I'm a paramedic, if you don't know what I do for a living. And uh, a few years ago, we got called to a, we got given a call that's known as a collapse behind locked doors. I guess Adam knows about this as well. Collapse behind locked doors, there's no answer from home. Relatives are concerned, he live a while away. Can we check on the gentleman? He's an elderly gentleman, lives alone in a flat. Quite often we get these calls. Sometimes it's good news when we get there, sometimes it's not good news. They were very concerned, so they asked us to go knocking on the door. There was no answer. Looked through the letterbox, shouting out, no answer. All the lights were out, this was at night time. Everything was pitch black. We couldn't get in. It was a first floor flat, sometimes it was ground floor. We'd try and look for an open window and try and climb in. I'm quite good at breaking an interview now. <laughs> well, no, quite good. Should put it into practice somewhere else. Uh, so we couldn't get in, didn't know what to do. So the next option is to call the police. They came along, they tried and tested various other means of gaining access, phoning other relatives, trying to find the key holder somewhere, looking for a little key safe somewhere, wasn't happening. So they got their big, is it, it's called the key, isn't it? The big metal the key, eh? It's a massive great lump of metal. I'm dying to have a go, but they never let me. It's this massive great lump of metal that they swing at the door and burst it open. So they got that out, swung it at the door, burst it open, we all went through. It's like something out of a movie, seen out of seven. We're there with our torches. The lights weren't working. All the electrics are off. I was thinking, what are we going to find? Where is he? He's not answering. Either he's empty or he's here, but something's wrong. So we all got our torches, take it in turns on different, different rooms. My mate goes and checks in the bathroom. One of the coppers goes and checks in the lounge, another one in the bedroom. Muggins here gets to the kitchen with the torch, swinging it around. I open the door of the kitchen, swing the torch beam. There is a body in a chair, wrapped in a blanket, stiff as anything. I thought, I, just as I put the torch beam on his face, he looks up at me. And I've never jumped so much in my life. It, it, seriously, it haunts me to this day. I can, just like this moment, like, oh my lord. My mate thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Poor little old boy, he was just worried. He thought people were trying to break into his house. So he pulled the fuse so none of the electrics works and hid in the kitchen. We thought we were trying to break in. Well, we were, but for other reasons. Bless his heart. Why didn't he just answer the phone? If he was dead, he couldn't have spoken to me. Dead men can't fellowship. Jesus did, and he still does today. Dead men can't teach. Jesus did, and he still does today. And dead men can't redeem. Jesus did, and he still does today. Dead men can't sing. What does that mean? That actually refers to us. That actually refers to us. The Bible says, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. 
in our sin and our selfishness in our rebellion against the good God we are unable to be obedient to him unless it's out of faith to him and letting him be king of our lives we are dead to him because of our sin without something being done about that without Jesus we are not just incurring punishment for our sin almost like we're waiting a remand or waiting in a prison cell waiting to be given a sentence the sentence has already been passed we're as good as dead we're as good as lying in the morgue lifeless on that slab a sheet over us and a tag on our toe we're walking with that sentence already passed over our head because of our sin because of our rebellion against a good God the whole of humanity and the whole of creation is under a death sentence because of our rebellion so rebellion into the world and that is an act of treason you heard of Guy Fawkes what's he famous for for treason what was he trying to do like the house upon it. He was trying to kill the king. An attempt to overthrow and kill the king, as in saying, you know better and you don't want him to be your ruler, it's an act of treason. And in exactly the same way, our rebellion against a good God who does know better, but not letting him be king of our, of our lives, overthrowing him and letting, putting us forward or other people's thoughts forward before his considerations, is an act of treason. And it deserves a death sentence. There's a death penalty over our heads and there is death in our bodies. We all get ill, don't we? Some more than others, but we all get ill. One day, we're all destined to die. There is death in the earth, tsunamis, famine, earthquakes, global warming, and on it goes. Animal killing animal, man killing man. And there is also death in eternity. Because without Jesus, you're destined to an eternity without God, without all things good. It's an eternal death dead not alive but dead so what can we do about it what can we do Jesus the king himself he died that death hallelujah he died the death that we deserve and if you believe in him if you let him be king again the sentence that death sentence is lifted hallelujah no longer over your head no longer a walking dead man. Because the Bible also says, in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible also says, for we have been united with him in a death like this. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We are united in his death. Effectively, that sentence has been passed, but on him in our place. And in his resurrection, he actually rose again 2,000 years ago. We are raised to new life. If you believe in him and let him be king of your life, you are given new life forever. No longer under the reign of death. In Jesus we get new life, we are no longer dead. We live forever with him. Not just in heaven, it's a Christian myth that we go to heaven to be with him forever. One day there will be a new earth as well. When God decides enough is enough, he will bring an end to all things. Heaven and earth will collide the one great glorious future for his people who loved him. It started off as a garden, the Garden of Eden. It will end with a city, a great glorious golden city where we, we as his people will live with him forever. He will be in our presence. We won't need a sun because his glory amongst us will be bright, bright enough for us to see by. We won't need him anymore. There will be, we will have new resurrected bodies as well as a resurrected earth. It's not just brand new bodies, it's these ones transformed. 
Jesus' body was the same but different. We were hearing earlier. It was the same body with the scars in his hands and in his feet and in his side. But it was a new transformed body in as much as he could walk through doors and he could appear and disappear at will. It was the same but different. The same for us. These bodies will be resurrected and transformed in a brand new, restored way. I'm looking forward to my new six-pack. Some proper pecs for a change. That'd be nice. There will be no sickness, no global warming, no earthquakes, no tsunamis. There'll be no sin, no death sentence, no death. Restored and made alive again. Same but different. Jesus really did rise from the dead. He really did fellowship. He really did teach. He really did redeem after the cross. And he still does today. Think about this. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. No Bible, no saviour, no security, no future. But we have the resurrection. It transforms everything. When we were dead to him, we were unable to obey him, we were unable to live a life of faith, we were unable to let him be king of our lives. Our lives were incapable of singing for him. Just like our lives today now are capable of singing for him. And our lives could sing for him, could sing about him, Every aspect of our lives, because if you love him, you are alive in him. And then you can do what you are made to do. Once dead, now alive. Shall we sing a song? Would you like to stand?